Hello, all you people that are my family. This is the Jared Family Podcast, podcast number one. This is my attempt to get to know everyone that I am related to on a deeper level, to get to know the things that challenge you, the things that drive you, and some of your struggles. Also, I want to know some of those stories that none of us have ever heard before. It is a way for us to all get to learn more about each other and to connect on a deeper level. For my first podcast, I have chosen someone who is extremely special to me. Not that you aren't all special to me, of course, but this is someone who has been there since the beginning, my brother Jeremy Ald. He is someone I look up to. He's my big brother, and he has been successful at starting multiple businesses. He has worked his way up at multiple companies and had some amazing adventures, as well as being someone who's extremely fun to be around and can be the life of the party. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Here's Jeremy Ald. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. In vino Well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Dance off, bro. Me and you. I'm sorry that people are so jealous of me, but I can't help it that I'm popular. This is the Jared Family Podcast. Shit. All right. I'm uh, starting the first uh, family podcast. Here at uh, the podcast studios, the old podcast studios, and my first guest I've chosen for the family podcast is none other than Jeremy Ald. <laughs> um, Jeremy, how long have we known each other? Um, you've known me my whole life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot you were there when I was born. Our whole lives, yes. Uh, we are also drinking uh, some rye whiskey, which Jeremy picked out. Well, rye Inspire. Rye Inspire. Your first sponsor. <laughs> so just send us a case of, of whiskey. That's right. <laughs> if we just get a case of whiskey, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as the first kind of family podcast, you know, my, my ultimate goal was to interview people that I'm related to. So, which is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, well. Because we're not related. Yeah, we're, we're related. But, <laughs> uh, you know, Jeremy being related to everyone that I'm related to, which everyone I'm related to isn't related, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it's just me and you. Yeah, so like you know, and but I mean, I guess I'm even thinking like Jennifer's side of the family. It's like you know, do I then go and, and interview them as well? Because um, now they're my family someday. But anyways, yeah. So, what do you think, Jeremy? What do you think about the doing this first podcast? It's a good setup. I'm excited. I don't know how deep we're getting into family talk. I know. Well, but... and I was like, <laughs> I was asking Jeremy earlier because uh, I was like, is there any? anything off limits because at some point in time, I think that, you know, even, you know, I think it'd be fun to even interview some of the kids, you know, but oh yeah, you gotta remember like, this is, uh, this is a, uh, a living thing. This will always be around once we, we say exactly. So it's like, but maybe they'll need a NC 17 warning on (laughs) some of them. Well, I I think, well, not only that, but I know any of the family that would be listening, we've all got those stories that of us, doing something probably with another family member that it's like they're listening like oh shit jeremy don't tell that yeah, story. Don't. please don't tell that story <laughs> yeah well i mean i'm thinking of, well i mean like for me especially interviewing you it's like i have so many stories on you that i'm like is exactly that, is yeah that so that's limits? why i hesitated like well i mean nothing is off limits until the recorder starts <laughs> that is true that is very true well and and so you know i i uh I was excited to, to interview you because I think that, 
you know, it's going to be a good kind of start to the, to the series of talking to everyone. Um, and, you know, for, you know, for me to sit down and interview you, and even now it's like we were talking before this and I feel like our conversation was different than it is right now. It's like, there's like almost a pressure to, to have a conversation, which makes it different, I guess, in some ways, but the rise helping kind of ease that tension as well. But well, it's more guided. Yeah, exactly. Bef- and, you know, before it's, but this is your podcast. So, I mean, it's not only am I relying on you to, you know, lead the discussion, but I mean, you're also relying on me to have some sort of content to make it work. So, I mean, yeah, there well, is definitely that content. extra. <laughs> content. Well, you didn't tell me I was going to have to have good content. Yeah. But now I get to ask you questions that I wouldn't normally ask exactly. you. Exactly. Or just sitting around. <laughs> That's what I'm worried whiskey. about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I honestly, I, you know, as any good podcaster would do, I went out and Googled your name to see what type of information. Because, I mean, obviously there's a ton of stuff I know about you, um, which I think will be interesting because I think some, some of the family members will actually learn things about each other that we didn't know before. Oh, yeah. And even me, like, you know, I think there's questions that I have about you on a maybe, I want to say deeper level, but a, a better understanding of, like, your views on, on certain things that I think are, will be really interesting to kind of tackle. Yeah, well, and I've even been thinking about it, like, I'm, yeah, I know that there's probably stories out there that we all haven't heard, you know, that, but I'm almost more interested in the stories that I have that probably have gaps in them, you know, I'm really bad with timing on things, like, I know that this happened, but I couldn't tell you if it happened when I was, you know, now five or six or seven or ten, you know, and, and, but just to hear maybe somebody listen to it and then have them go, oh, yeah, but it was like this, like to fill in some of those gaps is what I'm really – to get a full story is – would be really fun. Yeah, well, I think it's like – you know, I always think about when it comes to like stories about people's lives and when it relates to the family is whenever uh, Grandpa Floyd passed away and we were at his funeral mm-hmm. and some of the guys from the VFW got up and started telling stories about him. Oh, yeah. And how I was like, dang, I didn't even knew those stories. And they were just – they were just so like – I mean, almost like painting him as like a different person. Like oh, yeah. a more unique and – and a unique person and, and kind of brought him into more personal light for me. Like I was like, you know, which I think is hard sometimes to get, yeah. get to that point where, but I mean, hopefully he's well, on grandpa specifically. I mean, we just didn't, he just wasn't around like other grandparents that we had. So he just knew him as grandpa. Yeah. And I mean, you didn't really know, you knew he was in the Navy, you know, and you knew he lived in Miami I know. and you know that he built golf clubs. I mean, but like there wasn't anything <laughs> like, it, malleable his, his woodworking you, know? you can't forget his woodworking right yeah and that he had an awesome woodworking yeah, shop you know so much fun to hang out in you know but but yeah I would, yeah I just and I remember like pictures or stories that even grandma Hutchison would tell about like them living in uh, was it San Diego did they live in San mm-hmm. Diego mm-hmm. and just like at the base yeah at the base and I always assume they live in those like uh, U-shaped big barns you know oh yeah i don't know why in my mind it was always that and i always remember grandma telling this story of a lady who lived next door that cussed so much that she tried to get the lady to stop cussing and then she said but then i found that i didn't stop her cussing but i started cussing more More, yeah (laughs) she just got more used to it um but uh i but back to so one of the things i i found online that I thought was really two, two things, one more funny than the other. But, um, do you remember whenever you got interviewed by the, uh, Tulsa world for 40 under 40? Yes. Yeah. I remember that. And yeah, which is at least a year gone by now. You're almost two years gone by, by you can't be <laughs> what are you talking about. I'm still 40. I don't think you're not under 40. I'm not under 40. No. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I actually pulled a, a quote from that, which I thought was was interesting. It's like about family and stuff. And I don't remember if you probably don't remember saying this, but um, you said, uh, my whole family is full of people that have either started businesses or worked their way to the top. Um, so it's in my blood to strive to the best at whatever I'm doing, uh, which, you know, I've always admired, like, you know, I, I was looking at that though. And I was thinking like, you know, who else in the, what dad, you know? And, yeah. and I feel that honestly, I feel that to some extent, you know, really like, uh, uncle John and, uh, aunt Barbara and, oh yeah. And, uh, Carrie and Robert and like, they, although like they worked for the thing and they had to report to somebody, it's like, that was kind of like their own, own business in a way as well. Oh yeah. And oh, I mean, sure. you know, from the outside looking in, I mean, obviously, you know, much different from, from their point of view, but, um, who else would you say like in the family were you thinking about when you said that? Yeah. I mean, dad for sure. When a business sense like that, you know, um, but you know, and I don't know, I do remember that pretty clearly. There's some, cause even the picture, that I took, I think we had just opened a Lote, like I was being pulled in two directions. Cause I was still at the bank. I was actually nominated oh, at the yeah. bank, but I saw it as an opportunity to, to like plug a Lote too. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know, but I mean, mom, you know, even like at the bank now, not really with the school, like she kind of feel like made a career choice to be, you know, obviously a working mom still, but to be, to choose a job that, you know, was more in line with what her boy's life was going on at the time. But I mean, mom at the bank, you know, rose all the way up to, I mean, head of the, um, whatever that was, the, the check cashing division. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but you yeah. know, but then even whenever the new bank came over, like they took her in Virginia and moved them up into CDs and everything. I mean, so, I mean, I just think that we're bred, but I mean, you know, anybody, I mean, any of our cousins, I mean, I'm not sure that I can think of anybody that's ever really been complacent, you know, in a sense of like, I'm just going to do this thing. Unless that thing is that they own that business, you know I mean? Yeah. Um, I do agree though, that like when I think of a lot of, a lot of the family on, on both sides of family, it's like everyone like has this drive to, mm -hmm. to, to do something bigger and better. And no matter what, you know, they're doing, I just feel like they always kind of own that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I even think about like, you know, Kylie going off to New York and yeah. doing her thing and working for the company, <laughs> which is a completely different story that some guy would name his company, the company. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you just tells you that guy's a douchebag, <laughs> yeah. which no, and I've never met him, but no, I, didn't <laughs> I, know. I was like, I was like, I don't this know guy. who he is, but well, I was like, I told her, I said, I can tell you right now that just from the fact that he called the company, the company, he's probably some trust fund kid who just had a ton of money and was like, I always just wanted to have a company called the company. Yeah. I don't even care what the business No creativity. Is. Um, but, uh, I don't know if you, had you ever heard the story about grandma Hutchison's, uh, grandmother, I think it was used to tell a story that her mother actually had stuff with this like billionaire guy or like this super rich guy that she was like housekeeping for or something like that. And that yeah. she was actually his daughter. Do you know this story? Kind of. I definitely know of that story, but I, to be honest, I wouldn't have put that. I could have said that anybody told me that, you know, that anybody's family that that happened, but I mean, it's vaguely there. Like it's you just, know, I always think it's like a crazy story. I always, it's, I can't remember if Dane or Dad or somebody had kind of just 
briefly brought that up, and I was like, dude, that's a crazy story. Like that was something. Well, because did somebody look to see if we're like actually the heirs to some billion dollar fortune? Because uh, well, we should. That is somebody. True. That is maybe true. that should yeah. be your your goal yeah. of this podcast. He, he didn't have any tracking kids. down our billions. He didn't have any kids. He only had the one child that he didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, that's just sitting out there. There's waiting. Yeah, and not only that, but it's been sitting there for like 150 years, and it's just been collecting interest. So. Oh, that's a different. That's a different podcast. That's my Treasure Hunters podcast. Yeah, um, but uh, no, and I think you know also Grandpa Smith too. Like, you know, just his like the stuff that he's done. I've always thought was really cool. Yeah, um, you know, that's you know just always blows my mind. Like the mathematician stuff and his like computer. I guess he did kind of do contract work. Well, and with his stuff, it's more of his continuing education. You know, I mean, I can't my whole life. You know, he'd come to the house for Christmas and be learning um, Morse code, you know, at one point, you know, and then he'd teach himself this and then he'd do stained glass. I mean, he was just constantly in a state of building on his, you know, education, you know, to, still to this day, he takes college classes, you know, he's 80 years old or whatever. So <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, that's with grandpa is the one thing that sticks out with me, with grandpa Smith. But, you know, I mean. But even back to that, I mean, uh, literally, I mean, you know, Grandpa Floyd, too. I mean, he was the head of the National VFW or something. I mean, it's just I just think it's in our blood, you know. Yeah. But even with all the cousins, everybody. What do you think uh, for you, like, would you say is, like, I mean, I feel like, you know, now you've done, I guess, three businesses now. If you include a low-tape ball mm-hmm. and now yeah. chains. Yeah. And then you also were, you know, to some extent running – uh, Bodine's for a while and the bank too. I mean, I feel like that you worked, worked your way up there and were pretty much running things on, on a certain level of your kind of, Oh yeah. Well, working, branch, branch manager and yeah. Corporate cash management. Yeah. I mean, what do you think is like your busy, biggest kind of, well, I guess, I guess my first question is what, what do you think is like, what was your kind of favorite thing to do out of, well, actually, sorry, let me take this a step back further. What do you think is like your favorite job that you've done so far? That you were like, that was just so much fun. If I could go back, like, I would do that job again. Well, well, I mean, the most fun that I ever had was when I worked at Sonic with Corey. Oh, I mean, really? That was the most fun. I thought you were going to say, I was going to say El Chico. Well, and I was going to say, which then branched into El Chico. Yeah. Like, you know, and then working there with that crew. I mean, but that was like, that was just a, that was a really good experience for me, just long term on all different levels. But, um, which, by the way, I'm, I'm wearing the shirt that Corey, Corey gave me. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's just for fun. But, I mean, it's also that's – it also that I feel like that kind of ties into something that I struggled with a lot in my life growing up was that I never – I never felt like a calling to do something, you know. Like I never – and I felt like I was supposed to, you know. And I never – I mean, I, I want to be an eye doctor, and I think maybe that maybe was the closest. But even then, it was kind of like – you know, what do you do? And then, you know, people start asking you questions about that even as a young kid. And that was, I mean, I think that was like fifth, sixth grade and stuff, you know, but so the same with work, like, you know, so I, I've never like sought out a job because I wanted to do that job. Yeah. And so, I mean, if I tie it into like, you know, kind of your question, it's, I mean, owning my own business. I mean, and Dane and I have this conversation a lot where it's just like, yeah, we don't make any money and we have come close and may still, who knows to this day, uh, lose everything that we have. But I mean, the amount of freedom and I work more 
now than I ever have two hours of, in the week, but I still have more freedom now than I did, you know, working at the bank, you know, or even, I mean, Bodine's a great example because well, I mean, for one, like when I broke my leg, like I didn't work and they still paid. I mean, that, that family is an amazing, you know, family and Kieran, like what they did for me is unbelievable. But even, so even at that high of a level of like needing off, I mean, there was days when I'd be like, Hey, can I go watch Luca play baseball in the middle of the afternoon? Kieran's like, yeah, get out of here, you know, and don't even come back. And it's like, well, I'm scheduled to work. But even with that amount of freedom, it's not even close to working for yourself and being able to, you know, take vacation when you want or take a day off because you need, you know, work things around. So, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, just owning my own business and even though the restaurant business is crazy, but that's what I love to do. And I mean, just the amount of help you can give people. I mean, I'm, we haven't really, I mean, we do it at an extent at James, but I mean, even Elote, I mean, there's people that worked for me. They're like, you helped me get my first house. Like you helped me get my first car. Like, yeah. you know, you helped me move out of my, I mean, just all the help you can give people by being in that kind of leadership role. So, yeah, I mean, I think, but no, I mean, fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, working. <laughs> yeah. It's the start of working with Corey at Sonic to the end of him moving out of Tulsa. I mean, well, maybe probably before that though, it stopped being fun, but, uh, before he moved, before he moved out to, well, just cause man, we started, we all started splitting up a little bit yeah. and you know, like when he moved out of town, he was living in his own apartment. I had my own place. Yeah. Um, you know, Wayne and Greg were living in their own place. Like we'd all kind of split up, but I mean, when we first oh, moved to Tulsa, so yeah. probably from then. So from the time I started working with Corey at Sonic until probably the time we moved down to 19th and Sheridan and got that house, yeah. this probably stopped being as much fun then if I really think back on it think things just got a little too crazy for us when you're living with wayne when yeah so when when i moved up here and it was me Corey, wayne and greg we all lived in a two-bedroom apartment yeah i remember that that was up on like that was a lot of like Mm -hmm, 91st memorial yeah i think i only came up once but i do because i was mom probably wouldn't let you (laughs) oh dude i was i think well what year was that do you remember what year that was see and that's see this is where i get screwed up but i'd say i'm gonna guess that it was 2000 that I actually moved to Tulsa, maybe 2001. And those guys were up here then like 2001, 2002. Like they came up about a year after I moved to Tulsa. Cause when I initially moved to Tulsa, I lived with dad. Um, cause I'm trying to think of where I was at. If it was 2000, 2001, I mean, I would have been in Edmond at the time. And so I'm just thinking like, yeah, I don't see because don't when know. you guys were living in the house off of like Sheridan, when you, was you Wayne, Corey, yeah. and Greg, I guess because you guys had left those apartments and got one where you didn't have well, to sleep in the same bed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we were all from Tonkawa, or well, I mean, Corey and I, and you know, if you could get a big house in Tonkawa for $300 a month. And so when we started looking at rent in Tulsa, you know, a nice house with four bedrooms or whatever to rent was like, at the time, maybe like $900. And we were like, we can't afford that. You know, there's no way we can afford $900 when we're paying 300 right now. Like, yeah, but what you could afford was a little two bedroom apartment that was like four hundred and fifty dollars. Not realizing we were going to make so much more money, and yeah, you know, and just you know, we're just idiots. But uh, so yeah, we got a little two bedroom apartment. We each slept in a twin bed. We split a room. Dude, I mean, what's so crazy is is even today, like you know, thinking of Tonkworo standards of like you know, I mean, because those the Buccaneer apartments were almost free to live in for yeah. some people. Oh yeah, and so you're going, especially I think Wayne 
Yeah, with all paid. those guys. Yeah. I'm not sure any of them paid rent. And then you're like, how can I afford anything over free? Yeah. <laughs> over yeah, so they were coming from free. Corey and I lived in that house with Jeff that we were paying $300 a month for. It was a three-bedroom house. So I'm like, yeah, how we can't do that. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah, it's just it's ridiculous that we thought that. But so, yeah, we moved into a two-bedroom apartment. But yeah. Then, and of course then, so it's probably a six-month lease or maybe a year lease or whatever. So once we were out, we were like, all right. And we moved into like $1,100 a month house, you know, that I mean, was like it'd be hard huge to, house. It'd be hard to go back to that. But I think that when, when you experience that type of stuff, like if you're brought back to that at any point in time, you're not like stressed out about it. You're like, I know that I could survive in this environment. Like I know that I could survive oh, yeah. long enough to get myself going again, you know, which the thing is like, you know, a lot of people, I, I just think that some people like they get so, you know, they get so scared of that. Like, if they do fall into that, they don't know how to get out of it. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, nah, it's just, this is, like, I've, I've been there, I've done that. Like, if, I, if I'm back there, I know how to get yeah. back to where I'm at, you know? I think Unfortunately, that, I've become an expert at it. <laughs> I need to figure out how to, to not go do the go back part. Yeah. But. No, I mean, who wants to go back? Um, but I, I was thinking whenever you said, you're just talking about the restaurant industry, you're like, you know, that, and I think we had, we had a conversation the other night where you said, um, you know, one of the things that you really want to invest in is like the people. Oh yeah. Like, it's not even necessarily the restaurant industry, which is something that I think that, you know, from the outside looking in, I think that for you, it's something you just know really well, you know, and it's something you've done for years. Um, I mean, pretty much that's one of the few industries you've worked in. Yeah. I mean, definitely more years. I'm an expert in it for sure. I mean, yeah. I spend enough time that I can definitely call myself that. Um, but I was thinking, like, if you were to leave the restaurant industry and do something else, what would what else would you do? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Even I mean, I mean, do you, you see and a I point even in huh? doing that. I mean, do you see a point in like ever being like, yeah, I want to leave the restaurant industry and maybe do something other than the restaurant industry? No, no. But I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier. It's just I'd never had that pull to be like, man, I've always wanted to do this. I mean, you and I have talked. I mean, yeah, if the Red Sox or Broncos called them, they were like, hey, we need an assistant GM for the team. Like, yeah, yeah I'd do that. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, that would be, you know, when you're talking about dream jobs, my dream is so, you know, I don't want to say unattainable, not that I couldn't do that, but like, you know, so it, it, which allows me to be free of whatever else I want to do. I don't, I would not, I hope I would not ever go back into banking, but, um, you know, I guess if the opportunity was there and I needed the money bad enough or got in a position where I was like, you know, I can just go make a bunch of money in banking, I'd go do it again. But I know that was really tough for you at that point in time. Oh, yeah. Like banking. I know you kind of got a little bit of a dark place during banking. Oh, yeah. What was, I mean, what do you think it was about banking that was so difficult? <laughs> well, it wasn't that it was hard. It was really easy for me. In fact, I was so it was so easy that I would literally pinch myself sometimes of like, why... Why am I, why is it so easy for me and so hard for all these other people I work with in the bank, you know, as far as rising and hitting sales goals and doing all the things that they wanted you to do, that was all really easy for me. Um, so it didn't take that much work. Um, now when I was at, when I was running a brand, and I, you know, that's, I think when I got to the really, you know, when it got really tough on me was when I moved to corporate banking and at that point you don't have any people around you. I mean, you have teammates, you know, I mean, I had, you know, a lender that I worked with, who's now the president over there. I mean, he was awesome. Taught me so much stuff. You have that, but you don't have, and I think that's what the bank taught me is that I need to be in an environment where I'm surrounded by people, Yeah, you know, where that I, and that I can help or have influence that also can influence me too, you know, but, 
Um, and I mean, you know, and all just the things you already know about banking. I mean, banks are built on the fees of people like me and you, you know, yeah. um, we'd have a, a client that would be, you know, that would have a 20 or $30 million loan with us. And, you know, it'd come out that he was some sort of fraudulent, you know, guy or whatever. And we would be so forgiving with him. And so, you know, even give him more loans, you know, or his base, his business would bankrupt and then he'd want to start a new business. We'd give him money. But then, you know, average Joe walk in off the street and want some money to start something up. And we're like, no. And it's so hard for just like the average person to get money out of a bank while the bank is built on the fees that those people are paying because they can't afford to have a bank account, really. So the overdraft fees and all the different fees that they nick them with. Um, man, it just it did just it tore me up too much, I think. So, yeah, you know, seeing that because, you know. Yeah, I mean, man, yeah, you'd have people that we'd take three or four hundred dollars from that they didn't even have it. You know, I mean, it started with fifty bucks in their account, and then we drove their fees down to four hundred fifty. And then our like, how we're coming through as knight in shining armor is we're like, well, we'll take off two hundred of that, but they still owe two hundred to the bank. You know, I mean, but then have these other. I mean, it just it just showed you, you know, band aid ripped off, clear picture of how this country runs. You know, yeah, so. That's fine. I mean, because I got too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, Andy, you know, who mm-hmm. my buddy who owns the microfinance company. So Andy did an interview with the um, Wall Street Journal recently, and he sent it to me. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, what do you think?" And I was like, "Man, I actually think it did a really good job of like kind of reflecting where you guys are at, and and it and it put you in a good place to hopefully get some." some more grants or some more people, you know, giving money to, to your cause cause it's a nonprofit. Right. Um, and he was like, yeah, but, and I was like, and I was like, but I know why you're upset. It's because they didn't, they didn't pinpoint the underlying issue with the, um, American, you know, the American spender and the American buyer is like, they, they overspend, they don't save enough. They're irresponsible with their money. And, like, that's one of Andy's big things. And he was like, you know, I really want to push that issue, which I think is, like, kind of the same thing. He's like, he's like, you know, he wanted to push the issue of, like, what the American bank and the American, like, credit companies are doing to the American people and making them feel like, oh, yeah, maybe I can get a little bit more loan or maybe I can do this. And, like, and then they oh, yeah. start feeding off them and being like, no, no, we're, we're helping you out. We're helping you out. But really, in the end, they're, like, kind of wearing wearing you down until you don't have anything because they're just, they have it. They've got it. They <laughs> Cause got they got money. you now, but that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, yeah. I can see like how, like that would, you know, for a person like you, like how they kind of put you in a very dark place. Yeah. And so, I mean, also, I mean, and because then, at the same time, it's like you had, you know, Luca had just been born. Um, Layla, I think was born while you were at the bank. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pressure and you guys were in, cause you know, what I don't think a lot of people know is that you were, you were, you know, supporting the family and you were supporting the restaurant with your salary um, yeah. to help Elote get going. Oh, yeah. And um, it's a lot of pressure on top of the fact that you're working on a job that was like wearing you down to, to your core beliefs of how things should be. Yeah. How people should be treated. It was definitely tough. I mean, you know, and I made a bunch of money at the bank, too. So that was, was you know, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's tough. Yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things wore me out of that place. But. <laughs> For that time of my life. Do you, uh, you were talking about like just, you know, being around people. And, and I think that one of the cool things about the restaurants is, is that, well, I think that it can be 
good and bad, but you know, you not only your staff because I mean, there's not a whole lot of people who make a career out of of waiting tables, you know. So, I mean, there are. Don't get me wrong, but I would just say. Well, like, it's from when you used to wait table. No, it used to be waiting tables and being a stripper was like the same thing. Like you just did it to put yourself through college, but yet nobody was actually going to college. But now, nowadays, well, <laughs> sans March of this year, um, it the service industry had become something where you could look at and be like, I'm going to do this for as a living. You know, I mean, yeah. many bartenders, chefs, you know, servers. Um, you know, even hostesses, you know, to an extent, you know, a maitre d' to become a maitre d' at a James Beard, a restaurant, you know, in San Francisco or something, you'd make seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and so the service industry ha- had become, it's not anymore, hopefully it gets back to it, but it had become something that somebody looked at and would make a career out, not, whereas, yes, whenever I'd started in it, you just, you look back. I mean, I, I remember working at El Chico's in uh ponca city and jeremy jenkins who was from tonkawa was a lead server there and i remember that one day dave jackson i think it said jeremy how long have you been here doing this or whatever and he was like 10 years and i turned to whoever it was probably Corey, and i was like man i'm never gonna be in the restaurant industry for 10 years like fuck that you know and now i've been in it for i don't know don't do the math on it yeah since i was 16 so yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> yeah, but that's what a career in my time would have looked like, is you just look back and you're like, oh, shit, I guess I did make a career out of this. Whereas now, it can be a kid that's 18 that starts waiting tables or something and go, oh, my God, like, I can own a house, I can, you know... Well, I think that, I mean, you know, I think that if you... I mean, if I knew the things that I know now about, like, financial security and investment and doing things with your money that makes you money... You know, I mean, but do you, I mean, when you're 18, 20, in your oh, 20s, yeah. you're like, I'm just going to go out. I mean, you're like, I leave the restaurant every night and I got money. I got cash in my pocket. Oh yeah. Like, and my that was the other thing back then. It was all cash. Yeah. I mean, I can remember, I can remember when we got our first credit card machine and it was at the El Chico in here in Tulsa over on 51st street and like having to have a training class on how to run the credit card machine. And you might have two credit card slips. So yeah, I mean, you're talking about cash, like you'd have a couple hundred dollars cash on you every single night. I know, which is tough. As a, I mean, when, as a kid who doesn't really know it's a lot impossible. of... It's yeah, impossible. You're like... <laughs> I just think of these guys who like get these <clears throat> like professional athletes, you know, who mm-hmm. are like 18, 19 years old, going into the you know professional sports, making a million dollars. And up to that point, they don't know anything about financial security. Yeah. You know, they don't know anything about like, what should I be doing with my money? They're like... I yeah. should be buying a fancy car, big house, and getting a bunch yeah. of ladies. With me, yeah, you know, check, going out check, to clubs. check. Yeah. Hey, who wants a bottle? Bottle yeah. service for everyone. Uh, you know, so I mean, yeah. And then the service industry is not that much because I mean, dude, I always tell people like when I was waiting tables, they're like, I was like, man, I had a lot of fun waiting tables, but it's like being a rock star. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, like you're like money in your pocket every night. You leave the restaurant, everybody wants to go out and party. Yeah, and. um yeah, because you get off 10, 11 o'clock at night, your day's just getting started. I mean, you didn't even get up till probably 1 or 2 in the yeah. afternoon. So, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's for another podcast. That's for the NC-17 version. I'll tell you some <laughs> restaurant stories. Well, and, I, and go back to the uh, – so I was thinking – and, you know, and maybe, maybe it is – and I think that, you know, if you are older and you – you know, you – I mean, because it is tough because you do have cash in your pocket every night. So, like – you know, when I left the service industry, you know, I went to go, you know, when I was waiting tables at, um, 
Kilkenny's mm. at the right Irish restaurant, and I was working at the bike shop at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like I was managing the bike shop, and I was taking that work home with me every single night. But yet, the few nights a week that I was working at Kilkenny's, I was actually making more money there. Oh, yeah. And so it was like – and I left there, and I didn't have any worries at the end of the night. Yeah. Like, I'd cash in my pocket, and I didn't have to think about work after I left. No. Other than the dreams where you dream that you walked into the restaurant and you're naked. <laughs> yeah. And you got five or tables. You, so you got to – like, Or dude, you wake what? up in the middle of the night and remember that you forgot <laughs> to take extra salt to some guy. Did you ever have those dreams where you're like – you? I, I mean, I would say that up until maybe seven or eight years ago, I still had these dreams. And I hadn't waited tables in a long time, but where I would get to the I would get to the restaurant and I'd be like in nothing but like a blanket. And then the hostess <laughs> come up to me and be like, you just got 10 tables just now. They've been waiting on you for 30 <laughs> minutes already. And I'm like, what? Why am I naked? And why do I have to go wait on these 10 tables? No, dude, I don't ever dream about dudes being naked in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about that is that's not true. But... Uh, <laughs> but I was, but I was, what I was thinking though, a second ago was that, you know, you know, with, in the restaurant industry, I still think that you have a, like a turnover rate, which I mean, might make it fun that you get to be around different people. But I was thinking like, you know, I don't know about now because I think you're back in the kitchen a lot, but definitely at Bodine's is like before you came to, to Jane's and you know, I think the other restaurants, you probably got some time to spend on the floor and talk to people and. I say that like when I was waiting tables, I mean there were tons of people who'd come in, and maybe not even regulars. Where I just get in like interesting conversations with them and like really yeah. gain something from that. And you know, even from my experience riding across the country, you know, when people say, you know, what was it that you really enjoyed? And although like I saw some really amazing things, and um, you know, I had so many amazing experiences. You know, the things that really stick in my mind are like those people that I met on the road. Yeah, and you know, the stories they would tell me, and I gained a lot from that. You know. Yeah, but you. You like people a lot more than I do. I'm not really that. I don't. I mean, you know, even when we were kids, you know, I'd be like, Jared, you go ask them. Hey, Jared, Which go, you go do this. Me. It's surprising to me because when I think of you, I think of you as more outgoing than me. Yeah. As far as like going up and talking to people, like I get a lot of anxiety about going and talking to strangers. Um, but I'll, I think your I have to be anxiety forces you to do it or something. I don't know. Where yeah. I think I'm just more comfortable. I think maybe. I don't, I don't know. I just can speak for myself. I mean, if I just don't want to, and, I, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, or I think if I was an anxious person, I might think like, oh, this is just my anxiety. I have to overcome that, so I'm going to go talk to them. You so know, it's more the purpose. But, yeah. Like, what's the purpose? So, you know, I wasn't – I mean, I was a really good server and bartender, but not because I was a conversationalist, just because my service was spotless. You know, I mean, I yeah. just – you were not going to have any needs, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I asked all the right questions, but I wasn't the conversationalist. I wasn't going to make you laugh at your table, you know, very rarely or anything like that. Like I'm definitely not that person. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, more of, you know, make sure that it gets done the right way, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, now the people I work with is different, but, but it I think just is like a, but I was well. I was going to say that I think that you know, you saying that it's like, as a business person, like that's probably perfect because you're like they complement the areas that I'm not strong in. Maybe. Or oh yeah. Like, yeah, for like you mean servers just, and stuff. Or though, or if I just don't care about it, I'll find somebody who does care about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I care. 
I'm just not as much of a people person as I think people think that I am sometimes. But the, no, that's not. We, I will say that though that you definitely maybe you're not a I'm gonna go out and talk to everybody in the bar type person, but you're like if I have my crew with me, I'm I'm gonna be making sure everybody's having a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. More so than I mean, I would say that you could be you could be the Jose Cuervo guy who's just like let's go out and have a good time. <laughs> yeah, I want everybody to have a good time. I'm I'm gonna be the. I mean, I've been called the instigator before. I feel like that's a negative no. thing. No, what? <laughs> I don't think anybody in the family has ever experienced. I've that. lost more husband friends than I've ever probably <laughs> that I'll ever gain in my life. But I can kind of relate with that because I, sometimes I would like to see what I can get people to do. Like, how far can I push them to see what the, what they will do? And I sometimes, I, but, but I'm I, not doing it to do that. I'm not that guy. I think maybe I was at one point, maybe younger. I mean, but. yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm that guy anymore, but I would definitely say in my early mid twenties, I was like, and but I, the opposite of you, I would go find like random people who I would be like, I bet I can get this person to do this. Yeah, which is maybe sounds devious, maybe a little bit, but well, yeah, it is. That <laughs> in that sense, the definition of that is. The, uh, but yeah, it's a good challenge for me. But no, I mean. I don't know where I was going with my thought, but so, but no, I'm not. So I guess to extrapolate on what I was saying or thinking, like, yes, I know that I need to be around people as a team, but no, I, I don't, you know, I'm not someone that goes out to, that needs to be around people. You know I mean? It like, is like, or like during this quarantine, you know, where I'm sitting at home and I'm just like, man, I need, to be around people. I mean, I do, I do need my connection with my people, my, you know, like you and even Corey over the phone or Kieran, you know, and having a beer or whatever. Like I have to have those connections in my life, but I don't seek out really any new connections. I mean, there was that crazy song. I don't know what it was where the guy was just talking. It was like in the early two thousands, you know, and one of the things he says, he's like, you're going to meet a lot of people in your life or you're gonna have a lot of friends in your life, but only a few will be, worth holding on to or something he says yeah. something like that and yeah i mean even at the time i was like oh that's true but i mean now that i'm older i'm like oh yeah that you know i don't it's rare for me to think i'm gonna have another new friend like a like a friend that i can call on at any time you know yeah um i have that like i'm fulfilled with that in my life so i mean so would you consider yourself a more of an introvert then so in, in, i so don't I think there's a misconception on extroverts and introvert, though, because... Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean... Because a lot of people... And I did I kind of did a, a bit on this with a, a, um, a class I was teaching. Uh, and because I think that, you know, for me, I've, I'm, I'm an introvert. And I think that the misconception is that introverts are somebody who are shy, right. and reserved, and stuff like that. And right. really, if you look at the true definition of an extrovert and an introvert is that introverts gain their energy by being alone mm -hmm. and extroverts gain their energy by being around other people. Yeah. And like, although like I can go out and I can be in the crowd and talking to people and doing all of that, it takes a lot of my energy to do that. And I gain my energy back by being by myself. Yeah. And so I feel like that, you know, I, I feel like maybe you're the same way. You're like, I, you know, I, it's not that I'm shy or I'm, I don't want to be around people, but when I really want to get my energy back, I want to sit in my lawn chair in the backyard and drink whiskey by myself. Well, both, I think both for me. I mean, I know that's maybe a cop out answer, but I no, am, there's a middle. I there's think middle, my whole I think life. there's a name for the middle of the road too. I don't know. Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's me with like everything in my life. It's just like, 
I think I just fit into so many different areas. Like, I mean, cause yeah, I mean, and I mean, Jenny would definitely tell you this. Like there's times when I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that I have the house to myself, you know, like, or, I mean, it comes up a lot of times in my relationships where it's just, you know, somebody's like, you know, or Jenny might be like, you know, we don't see each other. I'm like, what are you talking about? We've spent the last five days together, you know, and, but to her, I mean, it's a different meaning, but it, like I, you know, I leave work and I'm like, yeah, I would love to just be by myself. But if I'm by myself for enough, I need to go back to work. Like I enjoy working with the team that I have around me too. So, I mean, in a sense, I would say that I'm both like, I need, I need both of those things. I mean, that's where like the whole banking story comes back into play where it's like when I, when I got out of the branch, when I wasn't running a branch anymore and I was just pretty much by myself, I mean, that fed into me, you know, my craziness at that time and everything. And, you know, but so, yeah, I, I do, I need both. I need that team that I can turn to. And I also need, you know, to be by myself because there's times when I'm by myself and I'm like going crazy and I got to get Corey on FaceTime or, you know, get you out of, out in the backyard or something, you know, even if we don't talk about what's going on in my mind, you know, but just to have that release of like, you know, family being around or whatever, because I mean, that's the other thing is like, there's people that, I mean, there's people at work that I work with every single day, you know, that don't know anything about me, you know, and that, that has followed me. And I don't know if I'm intentionally doing that, but there's people I've known, you know, my whole adult life that if they were sitting here with you and I, even on a surface, even on just like skin, the top of the surface, they'd be like, I didn't know that about you, Jeremy. I'm like, yeah, they're, you don't know anything about me, you know, but yeah, you know, but that's, I don't know. That's a, I just think I'm more interested in knowing them than maybe they are in knowing me or I don't know. It's for an, another podcast maybe, but <laughs> no, it's good, dude. I think, um, I think you're very, uh, Dexter-ish. Like the murderer? Dexter? Well, the fact that maybe you're hiding <laughs> who you actually are. Oh yeah. It's easy to get away with things if people don't really know who you are. That is true. That is true. I was kind of joking when I made that comment though too. But I'm also, I, the thing about being alone for me, I am not, I'm a pretty self-destructive person sometimes when I'm all by myself, which you know well from when I was going through the divorce and you'd come home and I'd be all giddy and probably had a couple too many whiskeys and you'd be like, what did you do? And then I'd be like, I just did this. <laughs> and you'd be like, you can't do that. We got to go fix that now. And then you'd load me up and we'd go fix whatever thing that I can't talk about on a podcast was. That I yeah, did. No, I, I mean, you know, I just, I don't have a, and I think maybe that's what I enjoy being around people is I think they keep me a little bit more grounded than I am able to keep myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true for, I mean, that was, I mean, that's, I hopefully you, I mean, I don't think you've ever experienced anything like that ever in your life or hopefully will ever experience anything. No, like that that's, again. see, that's the, I mean, I probably was insane. I, if there was like a test, I probably would have tested insane it's, it's at that point in my life. Well, it's hard, you know, it's hard to see, you know, for me, whenever during that period of time, to not see you as like the brother I've always seen you as and yeah. see you as somebody who's like really struggling and going through something really tough. Although, I mean, it's like, I realize that, but you know that's the opposite of, of what I've always known. And mm -hmm. so, um, and it is, it's hard to, it's hard to call you out sometimes. You know, I did call you out once. I don't know if you remember this, but during that period of time, I was like, I don't remember what it was, but I was like, but you know, this is, you know, you know that, that you should do this. And you're like, I know you're right, Jared. Yeah. I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? cause you, you're pretty hard headed sometimes too. Like, you're like, this is how I'm going to do things. And oh yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think that, that there's anything wrong with that either because I think that 
Um, at, at some point, I think that there's a lot of success in that as well. Like, to believe the things that you believe in and then just keep on going with them regardless of what anybody else thinks, which is like there's destruction in that and then there's also yeah. some really great things in that as well. But I think that, like, you know, I always think of the... Well, your core. I think at your core, yes. But, I, you know, I also think that nobody knows the answer to anything, you know, and so you have to be flexible. You know, you have to be able to to pivot if an idea comes in that you're like, oh, wait, that's maybe not what I would have thought or think, but that does sound, that makes sense to me. Like, if you close yourself off to that, but, I mean, yeah, there's core value. There's things that if you're not listening to your body, if you're not listening to your gut, if something comes into your universe, you know, into your whatever, your personal space, be it an idea or an actual vocal thought then, and, and you don't listen to your body on like, no, that's not right. You know, and then stick to that. Yes. I agree with that a hundred percent, but, um, but no, I mean, I'm also, I mean, you gotta be open. You gotta, you gotta allow yourself to pivot yeah. on an idea if you need to. I mean, would you say that, well, I guess let me ask it like this. What would you say is like your, uh, biggest challenges that you've kind of faced in life? Well, my divorce probably my biggest. Well, yeah, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to like put the challenge that I faced. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's easily the biggest. I mean, that's without saying. Um, that I mean, you know, there was some challenging stuff in our childhood. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how much we want to get into, but. Yeah, uh, the divorce was the was my most was the hardest thing on me for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I was crazy. I mean, I know, I, like there was shit I did and things I thought that was just like, and luckily I was at least, or maybe I, it's not me. I wouldn't take any credit for it. Luckily, I had the right people around me to keep me, you know, heading down the right path or whatever. Because, I, I mean, no, I mean, there's times when I'm totally could put myself in the position of a, of a guy that would just totally lose their family, you know, and just go live on an Island somewhere. And yeah, you know, your kids walk up when they're like 25 and like, fuck you, dad. Like, where'd you go? I mean, like, you know, it's even hard for me to say that now. Cause I can't put myself there, but I know that I had those thoughts. I mean, it seems yeah. like a different person, but, but no, that was me. Yeah. It's amazing. The people that you can be, I'm sure you think back on that person. You think that's not the person. Like you almost look at that person as like a different person. I, no, I, I don't. I, I, I think mean, other people do see me like that. I don't look at myself like that. Do you think that that's a? Um, I mean, because I do. It's more scary to me of like, man, like you can be not. I mean, just anybody can swing from that to that, and maybe you know come back or not come. You know, I don't know. I mean, but that. I mean, the thing about a divorce like that, at least the one that I went through is it it makes you reflect on literally your entire life you know and that's what i think makes it really hard too is because you know i was totally torn up by libby you know and the control she had over me and you know just but to see myself as that and it's like how did i get to that you know like how did, how was i this super confident guy that could do it felt like he could do anything to like this dude that had no confidence and you know and then to go super crazy and then it's like well do you go back you know because you don't ever go back you just keep moving forward so no it's yeah it's a yeah it's a yeah. crazy time life challenges 
Yeah, no shit. <laughs> that one for sure. Was that was that off off limits life challenges? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that you know, and kind of back to going where we were. Well, let's see, I don't know what I want to tackle next. Um, I you know one thing I really wanted when I was thinking about things to talk about. Uh, one of the things that the first thing I wrote down was. I mean, do we have so many memories? There's so many great memories or memories I have of you doing things that I wasn't even involved in. Uh, like you riding out to see Brad whenever you, you and who, who went with you? you it know? was me and Greg and Jeremy Whiteman or Jeremy Barker. Jeremy Barker, yeah. And then that was a great trip. Yeah. And that little blue car. 1990 that, Corsica. Which is amazing that you made it out. No there air back. conditioning. How old were you when you did that? I mean, think 20, I was living with Wayne and Libby, I think, at the time at that house over on, on 19. 23? 22, 23? Probably 22. I bet I was 22. Because I was still at UCO at the time. Yeah, I bet I was 22. Yeah. No, that, you, weren't living with, you weren't living there yet. Because Brad, when you were living in that house, Brad had already moved back. He was living at the Lynx. Then I was then I was living in the apartment by myself. It's probably before I started dating Libby. Then yeah, I think you were right before. I think you were living in the apartment by yourself. Yeah, the the Bradberries or what were those things called, man? (laughs) God, that was such a ghetto. Dude, that place. I remember coming over there, and I was just like, "Dude, this is a mess. This is such a mess. So many things." That place was freaking nuts, man. Um, (laughs) Different (laughs) podcast. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, but I was, I mean, you know, like, I think of, of like, a lot of things like that, you know, I mean, <laughs> the time that you, uh, uh, those guys followed you home and jumped you when you were oh, in yeah. your car, that's super crazy story, uh, um, but I don't know why this story, in my mind, I don't know, just, like, you know, brotherhood type stuff is that whenever I was riding my bike across the country, mm-hmm. when you came up to Pittsburgh, yeah. Kansas, and met up with me, which... You know, you were the only person, other than the people I was riding around the country with, that, uh, you know, that I saw on the trip. Yeah. Um, and I, the story, I mean, that, like, meant the world to me that you came up and, and saw me and, like, and I can't remember if you stayed the night. I feel like you... No, there, it was because I don't, I, I don't remember exactly the situation, but it was kind of like, when it got kind of towards the end of the night, it was like... Well, you could sleep over the because you guys were obviously sleeping in weird quarters or whatever, yeah. like in a loft of somebody's house or something. I don't know how you guys have worked it out, but it was kind of like, well, it was, uh, and I was like, oh, well, if that's the case, like I'll just drive back. It was but, Mary. It was um, like Tina's cousin or something like that. She lived you know. in Pittsburgh, Kansas. I, but I, the way I remember though is that you came up, which was awesome. I mean, I, I, I care. I feel like we just kind of hung out. I don't even yeah. we went and got a drink or we just hung out or whatever but then i remember the in the night uh i was like i could beat you at a race and i destroyed yeah. you so bad you, you didn't though that you you did crying i hope you, your I hope you like, really don't remember it that way because <laughs> that's not what happened what happened was you were like i've ridden halfway across the country my i'm in the best condition of my entire life i think i can finally beat you in a race because well preface to this like you we have raced many times where you finally think you've done whatever you needed to do to overcome my speed and then I'll just trash you. But this time you were like, no, like my legs are in perfect form. Like I'm, you know, burning 
10,000 calories a day, like all this stuff. I'm like, all right, man. And literally I just driven up there. I'm in like jeans and a t-shirt and we went out in the middle of the street and we raced. Well, and, and it I wasn't think, close. In fact, I'm not even sure that you finished the race. I think you just stopped <laughs> in the middle of the race and you were like, I'm done. Uh, well, because, and I try to tell you this is that speed is the, you don't learn speed. You're either fast or you're not fast. You're just, you just, you will not ever beat me in a race. I mean, ever. The problem is, I mean, I guess if I break another leg, another limb, you break, I bet I could beat, beat you now. I bet you could not. You don't think I could beat you now after you've messed up your ankle and everything? No, and if you told because I raced killings. Luca recently and I smoked his butt too. You, you smoked Luca? And I almost pulled a hamstring doing it too. In fact, I, I strained it. Yeah, but I would say this. I smoked him, dude. I I was beating him by like 10 yards and then I pulled my hamstring. And even that, because we raced 100 yards, even the last 10 yards of me limping to the finish line, I still beat him. I, I think, though, that if you and I went out and ran three miles. Yeah, you'd beat me. You. Yes. But you would never race me three miles because you already know that I would beat you. Right. Well, I mean, I guess I would race you, but you would beat me. I'm not ever going to come to your door and be like, all right, dude, today's the day. I'm going to beat you in a 5K. Because that's not ever – because I understand <laughs> your – it's like your mind won't allow you to listen to your body and like how your body See, works. That's, that's, that's where Luke and I can relate with each other a lot. It's that little brother, big brother thing. <laughs> you can't outlive it, but no Luke matter is, what you do. But Luke is a big brother. <laughs> yeah, but Luca. There's, but there's also that thing of beating your dad. That is true. You know, it's like it's like the arm wrestling with dad. Or yes, like playing exactly. Chess, playing chess with dad too was. Yeah. Which have you ever beaten dad at chess? No, but I can't remember that I played dad in a really long time. Oh, so you think you could beat dad now at chess? See, I don't think I've ever beat you or dad at chess. Well. Which we I'm get. sure you beat me. I'm not any good. I'm really not very good. But I will say I know a lot more about chess because of Luca learning chess than I did yeah. now. Um, no, I and I could not beat Dad in arm wrestling. I really could beat him in arm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, but that, that, so that's the Luca and me thing is, you know, he's just trying to be dad, you know, which he won't ever be able to do. Yeah. Yeah, that is a fun. I love that story of dad and grandpa arm wrestling forever and grandpa always beating him and then him arm wrestling Brad and Brad beating grandpa. And then when I told dad that, dad was like, well, yeah, I could have beaten your grandpa any time, but you don't beat your wife's dad. Like, you just don't do that. And I'm like, no, I know that because when... When Brad beat Grandpa, everybody was like, you're the worst person ever. Like, why did you do that to our Grandpa? <laughs> why, would <you> grandpa? <laughs> why would you beat him? Which, and, of course, you know, I mean, that was – Grandpa was 10 years older probably than – Oh, and I remember Dad telling, always telling the stories, though, about how great of an arm wrestler Grandpa oh, yeah. was. No, too. yeah. We never knew that Dad could have beaten Grandpa until Brad had beaten him. Yeah, you just didn't think anybody could beat Grandpa. No. But, and that's how it should be. It, and it is. And, but, I mean, like, Brad in general, though, is like – he was like a state championship wrestler, and but this guy was like just super stocky. I mean, he was just he was super strong. Like, dude, I can't believe you just hit that mic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, <laughs> that is I do remember that story. Where were you going with that though? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh, you trying to you know, yeah, put it on public record that you were faster than me. Talking about like, people who think that they can beat me in a race beat you in a race and they can't Luca um 
I'll tell you, the list is probably 20 times longer of the people that cannot beat me. Mike Schatz can beat me in a race. Oh, I thought you were talking about things in general. Oh, that too. <laughs> um, so on the... Uh, Um, why not? What is it? Uh, I'll, maybe I will get to that. But well, now you have to, don't you? No, I'm, that's the end of the that's the end of the podcast. Those notes are from for the end of the podcast. Um, how do you so? I, I do so. I can so. I think that so. Well, I think what's interesting for me, you know, especially like at this point, trying to start my own stuff is, you know, for you, like, how do you kind of keep organized in your daily work as you're like all over the place, or do you feel like that there's not really an organization of of running a restaurant? Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, there is for sure, and I and I don't know that I know how to do that. I know, or at least. I think I'm like dad in that sense of like, you know, you just do it, you know, like I, I'm, it's, it's a subject organization is not a subject that I'm, that I know a lot about, I think. And maybe I am organized, you know, maybe it's like obvious. It's like, well, you couldn't have, you couldn't run these restaurants or you couldn't have been where you are without being organized. But, um, my own mindset of it is just, you just keep falling forward. You know, you just keep doing what you got to do yeah. and, but you prepare yourself for when those events come up that you have to make a decision, you know, and that's the thing about being your own boss or being a boss period is that's what, that's what your job is, is to make decisions. But and how do, you, how do you prepare for those things that you don't know are going to happen? Like, how do you know, how do you prepare for uncertainty? I mean, because I would, I, so let me ask you this, and this is like going in a kind of a different direction, but like COVID has, has been a huge hit, especially mm-hmm. on the restaurant industry. Oh God. Yeah. Um, but you know, the government has done a little bit to subsidize, you know, has done some small business type grants and sure. things like that, which I'm sure have been helpful, right? But do you think that if if you hadn't got any of those any of that money from the government or any any additional loans that you guys could have survived through all everything that's going on? Man, it's just it's what you know, and Dan and I talk about this a lot, it's just what is your idea of survival? You know, I mean yeah, we could have, and, and you know, and the thing is that it wasn't enough and it still is not enough. And that's for another political podcast, but, um, you know, yeah, because Dane and I could have gone in there every day, just he and I, we could have let everybody go and just gone in there every day and just, you know, done to go meals. I'd have been in the kitchen. He'd have been out front taking shit out to people's cars. Like, and we would have stayed open, you know, and our, our losses would have been very minimal and we'd, you know, we would have made it, but you know, the, and that's, you know, that's just the resilience, dude, that we've been, that's in our blood. I'm not sure that, you know, to me, it doesn't even seem like a choice. You know, it's just, that's just who we are, you know, as a family. It's just like, you know, the, the amount that we can put up with is a lot more than other people can. You know, I'm not going to point fingers at anybody or any families, but I mean, yeah, I've definitely been in families where it's like the smallest little thing. 
I guess I did. <laughs> There's only one other family I've been in, but uh, <laughs> that one little thing is like, you know, the end of the world and it yeah. like is a catastrophe to the whole family. And you're just like me personally looking at it like, well, no, just, you know, don't do that again or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the solution is. But, um, you know, and I mean, that's, I mean, Dane and I have been going through that this whole time, you know, it's just like, but yeah, it's what, what's your idea of survival? Like, are you okay with doing that? I mean, that's kind of where things get to as a business standpoint. I mean, you see a lot of companies that are, that are just not strong. The leadership is just not strong enough to say like, you know what, if we just close all these stores or if we just restructure this thing, like they don't want to put up with the stress of that. They just rather close and be like, oh, well, it was a loss, you know? And for Dana and I, I mean, it's just always been like, no, staying open is the best solution, you know? Fighting and staying open is the best solution, regardless of how much, you know, stress and stuff it puts us under. We're built for that, you know? We were raised to deal with that shit, so. But do you think that, you know, you had things in place that, I mean, I, another thing that's like, how could you ever plan for, for something like COVID to happen? How could you ever plan for yeah. anything that's happening right now? But yet, do you think that you still made things, you know, put things in place that have allowed you guys to, to survive, you know, oh, yeah. where you're at right now? The, I mean, cause I mean, you know, like again, like how do you know, how do you know what's going to happen? I yeah. mean, you know, this is crazy. But you don't. Well, and that's, you know, that's just, but it goes into like who we have hired, who we work with. I mean, you know, because you're steering a ship, you know, full of people that you need to, you know, lower the mast and, you know, whatever, you know. And so, yes, I mean, but I mean, it's a matter of me and Dane looking at each other going, all right, you know, let's do this. We got to do this. We got to shut down this day. We got to do this. And it's like, okay, do it. And then go to, you know, Chassis and Chris, like all of our good people and be like, you know, this is what we're doing. And then get that pushed down and, you know, and the mutual respect they have for us. I mean, you treat your people well. I mean, we were talking about this just the other day. It's like we'd be in these meetings with the previous owner of the restaurant, who is our landlord also, and they'd ask us these questions of like, well, how do you, how are you going to keep people from stealing from you? Or how are you going to have people show up to their shifts? And I remember sitting there going, I mean, just treat them with respect. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't even know the answer to that because it's, I've never run into that. I've never been in a position where like, people were stealing from me and not showing up to shifts because I've always just treated people well, Yeah, you know, and that's my philosophy on running any business or being a part of any team is like, if you just treat them well, they'll show up to work and they won't steal from you. You know, you're always going to get a bad apple, but, um, no, I mean, it just, that, I mean, that tells me more about who those people are than it does, you know, what a problem I might have, but no, I mean, there's nothing that we could have planned for this. The only thing we could have is me, you know, Dane and I have struggled an immense amount of keeping that restaurant open, you know, and, um, we've, you know, been blessed to have some help, you know, in, in all the right places. And, um, but I mean, we've sat down with bankruptcy lawyer. I mean, we've been, we've been there, you know, where, where, and maybe even someone would tell you we should have shut down, you know, we should have done that route, but. I mean, I would argue that us staying open has saved our houses and, you know, our financial situation. And we fought through it and it has been beneficial, even though he and I have not made any money off the restaurant. You know, I mean, yeah. we will we, probably, I mean, if we break even at the end of it and we're able to move to a new location and that will actually be where we go. But we'll go four years without making one nickel off of this restaurant. I mean, I think that, you know. But that, I mean, that, those struggles and, and getting that point where you're like, okay, we're you know, sorry, mom, but we're fucked. 
and where do we go from here? And instead of being like, we're done, let's close the doors, like we lost, we're failures, which is okay, and I'm okay with that. I'm actually, I'm probably not. I don't okay think with you that. are. Okay yeah, with I'm that. not probably not. But <laughs> but moving forward and being like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to keep open. We're going to stay open. We're going to keep going. We're going to find help. Like, I think it's that. Yeah, exactly. That you find, and I think that. I mean, I can relate because, I mean, there's times where people would look at me and go, you should just give up or you should just do it like this. Yeah. Give it to, hand it over to somebody else, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this until I will run myself into the ground before I give up. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I think that that's the perseverance that you guys have. Um, one of the other, well, I had a conversation today with a banker. I'm sorry. I know. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I should go into banking. Uh, but... You know, one of the things that he had said was, he was like, you know, I don't really agree with the loans that the government or the grants and the loans that our governments are giving off because the banks had to do a lot of the legwork and they made money off of that. But yeah, they did make they a made, lot of money. And he was like, and he even said, he's like, dude, we made a lot of money <clears> off of that. He's like, but the amount of money we made, he's like, now is, he's like, because of those loans, now we're not making any money because nobody's coming for loans anymore. And you, and you have your own ideas about the but and that's not what i'm getting to so hold on so the other thing he said was i think that you know just like through time and capitalism that you know the strong survive and the weak and the weak fall apart and so like he's like i don't think the government should be coming in but that's not i mean that's not true on the 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 strong survive because of the weak and so you the strong survive because they have the weak people working Eating nothing. I mean, you think about even the Great Depression. I mean, that's that is a that you should not be okay with that banker guy. I'm not. I'm not saying. <laughs> but that, that I, is the bank. That's the bank's idea of it. That is how yeah, banks think. I don't think that any banker, other than maybe Andy, would ever think anything different. I think that that's that's the philosophy that most bankers would have. I mean, that's with us, with Dane and I. It's like you know, we could have closed, like a yeah. lot of restaurants did. You know, a lot of people I know, and and we just don't believe that because our people. What were our people? Yes, they could have gotten unemployment. And things, but a lot of them couldn't, you know, I mean, maybe <laughs> a lot of them couldn't have gotten on unemployment. I'm just going to stick it at that, you know? And so what were they going to do? You know, they were going to go find other jobs where who's hiring right now. So it's like, you know, it's because of those people, it's because of our dishwashers and our, you know, bussers and our cooks and all these people, you know, and our yeah, servers. That's your, like, that's your in-house stuff that you're taking care of. Right. And so you, as a, as a company, and I'm not even saying the restaurant industry, but I'm just saying the industry in general, like even the events industry that I was in, you know, which some of those event companies I'm sure have gotten a, a you know, payout from the government to help them continue to work their business. But I say even in the event industry, you know, which I was looking to start my own event, but I would say that if I was, if we were on the verge of starting our own event and all of our competitors tanked because they didn't plan well enough, they didn't save well enough and they went under, I would say... They should have done a better job. Yeah. You know, the government But should, that doesn't have anything to do with the government giving them money. You, and, well, I don't know. Because I don't, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't a part of that. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if a company could have survived just by getting that, that loan from the government. That is, the, that individual's idea is that the stock market is our economy and our economy is not our stock market. They're not, they're two separate entities, you know. And because the thing is, is, you know, it's just how, you know, Obama gets 
all this stuff. And I'm not sure that I even agree with it, but that he bailed out all the auto industries, you know? Yeah. But how many people's lives did he save by doing that? You know, yes, it sucks that the CEO still probably made $5 million, billion, whatever they made, you know, but on the grander scheme of things, like, yes, but there also wasn't 150,000 employees out of work, you know? I mean, which that hurts our economy. Um, I know, I know you're trying to say like, you know, that yes, we've created a strong company and how does that, but just the, the part that's wrong about what your banker friend said is that for one, the banks aren't any worse off than they ever were than any other businesses right now. Um, they, I, cause I promise you this, if the government had not given any money, the banks sure as hell weren't going to give anybody any money, you know, and you'd had all these companies falling out and failing, you know, for no reason. But, um, but no, what we did, the, the money did help us. I mean, it's allowed us to, to fully pay these people while they were, while we were still open. Our business would have stayed open no matter what. Cause yeah, if it had come down to just me and Dane, we'd have still been open. And I mean, that mindset of us doing that is just something that, you know, we just, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Like hopefully somebody in the family podcast will be able to touch on it a little bit better than, than I can. Cause to me, it's an alluding thing, but it's something I know was that I was born with that. Yeah. I was not taught that, you know, um, through experience, through my experiences in business, but also being kind of in the same situations, not as bad as we're in right now, but, you know, just being faced with like, okay, oh shit, this is happening. What do we do? And then doing that and then it being right has, you know, strengthened my foundation on that, you know, okay, yeah, when we're in a, a crisis, like I, my thoughts are usually right, you know, and to get us out of that. But that's something I was born with, man. I don't know, you know. My, but I can't put my finger on it. I can't put it in words. Yeah. I just know that it's there and I trust it. No, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I wait just to hear what you said next. I've, I've been listening to this, so... You're, you're, you're pouring whiskey in me and now you're trying to get me fired up, I feel like, for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I'm like what it was won't that? take much. Oh, hold on a second ago. It won't take you much. You said you hate, you don't, you had a real issue with banking. Right. Let me bring banking yeah. in real quick. All I got to do is mention that this banker told me something. So we're not, now we're going to talk about religion and politics real quick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Which is totally fine. We can talk about religion. But Mom, turn gonna, your radio off. We're not going to get, we're going to get because <laughs> we know where that would go. But, uh, um, man, God, Lee, you, you, Got me thinking about something else real quick, and now I can't remember what it was. But hey, uh, and this is this is not about you. Oh, I remember. So I was. We had this little pause there for a second, and then you were the first person to talk. But um, and this and this might be beneficial to some some of the family as, as they're listening. But I've been mm-hmm. studying a lot about negotiation, and you may know this trick. But mm-hmm. essentially, you go in a negotiation, and then you get to a point where you just stop talking. And then the next person who talks essentially is the one who will probably give in to the negotiation. Yeah. Do you know this tactic? Yeah. And so and this guy's talking about this tactic, and he says, one time I was sitting in a meeting with two guys, and they were both salespeople. And they got to that, the I can't remember what he, the silent treatment or whatever he called it. Mm-hmm. And he said, they both were just being silent. And so the guy passed a note to the other guy, and he said, um, you know, what do you want? But he spelled want incorrectly. And so the guy goes, you spelled want incorrectly. And then he's like – and then he, he, he got that guy to break his <laughs> Yeah. And like, then the guy was the like, oh, 
and then and the guy just couldn't stop talking at that point in time. Like he just kept going on and on until he finally lost the negotiation. Yeah, or lost the negotiation. A great negotiation, I guess, is whenever both parties walk away and go, "Man, you know, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I still feel really good about what happened with that." You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was going to ask you though, like, what's I guess tell me a really cool story about Luca that maybe. No, he knows. Tell me something that, uh, let's see. So, what's just a really great memory that you have about Luca? Like, you and Luca's time together. I mean, I have a ton, but... I mean, what's something that really sticks out? Like, what's the first thing that you can think of, like... Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's so many to try to pick one. Um, well, let me tell... How about I start I mean, off? the thing about Luca that I love about... I mean, obviously, I love everything about him, but... You know, sorry, Kate, to not love everything about. The, well, the thing that I love about him is probably what also drives me the most crazy, <laughs> which is just you know he just. I mean, so and as you know, like I'm like ultimate trash talker, you know, in high school and stuff. Like Jeremy Soche, you know, what I mean, like I could go back with anybody. Yeah, yeah. And like Luca, it, like like the first words he could utter, like I would say something. And then he would say something back, and then I'd like, oh, all right, you want to go back and forth on words, and I'd be able to say something, and he'd say something, it would just shut me down. Like, not not negative or anything, but just where I was like, oh, man, I do not have a comeback for that. Like, you know, and he's just always been, like, kind of quick-witted like that, which is always cool. But. It's like the student has become the master. Yes, exactly, from a very young age, unfortunately. I remember the, the story about, and this is when Luca was, like, really into Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, mouthing off to you or something. And oh, like, yeah. When you guys lived on the house on, like, uh I was thinking about that story, Houston. too, and I was sitting here thinking. And you, like, pulled your belt off. Almost like I imagine it being like Indiana Jones taking his whip out and be like, Whoop-ay! oh, it was epic in my mind that like, because what had happened was he got in trouble at school and, you know, he just bucks authority sometimes not even it doesn't even it just you're authority. You're an authority. You're an authoritative person in my life. I'm going to buck you even if that person is trying to help him like it is a it's just a struggle for him. But uh, he got in trouble at school and. He came home and he was supposed to be in timeout, but he was like jacking. I can't remember where he was at in timeout, like in a chair or something. And he was like jacking around with everything. So I took the chair and I moved it in the middle of the living room where there was nothing around it. And I, I think I belted into the chair maybe or something. No, I, <laughs> I didn't. I wouldn't have belted him. I just told him, I was like, you sit in this chair. And I'd gone upstairs. And DHS came to your door. <laughs> oh, no. He's been belted to a chair before. That's for sure. But I don't think this time that he was. And I go upstairs to like vent to Libby about how frustrated I am about it. And I hear him, you know, probably 15 minutes has gone by and I hear him at this, at this point, he's in his school clothes. When I put him in that chair, he's in his school clothes. And I hear him go, dad. And I'm like, what? And, then go, and I hear dad, get down here. And I go to the top of the stairs and I look how down and he? oh man, he's probably like seven. I bet maybe even younger. And he's at the bottom of the stairs, and he has gotten his Indiana Jones costume on because we had a costume closet downstairs. Full costume, hat, everything, with his whip, and he's got his whip in his hands, and he's like, I'm not sitting in that chair anymore. And I was like, oh, really? And I had my belt on, and I'm in my mind with, like, two fingers, unbuckled my belt and pulled it off, and it, like, my belt whipped. And he just dropped his whip and everything was like, no, dad. And like ran back to his chair. And I think I did belt him into the chair at that point, but no, that, <laughs> I mean, but man, look at his like stories, man. Like, I mean, I don't know. There's so many and that's just having kids, but like, 
He threw that 112 pitch no hitter, you know, last year, two years ago, whenever that was. I mean, that was awesome to see. And I mean, just his struggles he's had and just, you know, he's overcome them. And yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, he cracks me up. I can remember, well, he is, he and Layla the first time that we were stayed in a hotel room. And they were too old to have not stayed in a hotel room before, you know, <laughs> like, but just they were like, oh my gosh, there's another TV in here and we can jump on this bed. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, pillow fights, man, that kid. Like, dude, you could, I could use like almost all my might and hit Luca with a freaking pillow and fly him off of a bed and he would just laugh. Like that kid would laugh at anything. He just loves life. Or, dude, I remember it was like him jumping off the roof at the house. <laughs> well, the, the best pool. thing about that is he was jumping off the roof into the pool and I was recording it because I thought it was awesome. And then sent that to Libby and she was like, what are you doing? Like, can you not be with the kids by yeah, yourself? How old was he? I was like, how old was he jump I thought off it was awesome. Cause man, we were jumping off the dock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's probably the same age that they you were. were. I wasn't, I was, I was, the did you never one. jump off? I was the only one that, I think it may have jumped off once. I was terrified of heights. Maggie had to have taught you into jumping off. She's got that. No, dude. I'm, she's got those powers thing, of persuasion. Dude. Heights are my thing. But I she had to have been like, there's only one way off. Somebody, or did somebody throw you off? You had to have gone off the top of that. I think maybe Maggie or somebody. Maggie and Katie, dude, they would have been like, Maybe once. That's maybe too one powerful time. of a force. I could, I, but yeah, I mean, because Luca was probably 10, 12, maybe. Yeah. No, which, no, being no. the same age, you know, we would have been jumping off that dock. Like, I feel like, man, yeah, that's crazy. I just, cause I imagine like Rocco jumping off that and I just, I don't know though. He did jump off those stairs one time that we were like, oh my God, 20 feet in the air. And I thought he broke his leg. I don't know why. He was probably doing that. Was how long it was? That was five years ago, I think. Was that five years ago, I was <clears> gonna <throat> say I thought he was like four when he jumped off those stairs. Yeah. <laughs> so the story, people that don't know, we were on this ski trip and where Jeremy had gotten us this really awesome log cabin. It was beautiful. It was such an amazing trip. I mean, honestly, like we need to do that again sometime soon. Yeah, I love um, ex- especially now that we like have such. Could, you know, we we're like, well, me, I actually have a family now and like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it'd just be, it'd be awesome. But anyways, Rocco's standing on the top of the stairs, like probably, I don't know, 12 stairs up or, I mean, he's almost really? on the second floor. So high that none of us thought he would have actually jumped off. Yeah, Cause I'm we're so- like, you know, oh, little kid, like he's going to think oh, about yeah. it. He's going to talk about it, but he's not going to actually do it like that high up where you're like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Were you in the living room when he did Yeah, it? we were all, I think, I mean, you I mean, and I, I think it was just me and you and maybe Ginny was in there or something. Okay. Like maybe. Yeah. And I'm like sitting, I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah. Mom was not in there cause she would not have. I'm like on the couch and, and Rocco goes, he's on the stairs. I don't even know that he's on the stairs. I think he was upstairs playing with the kids and he like, he's on, next thing I know he's on the stairs and he goes, Hey dad, look at this. And I turn, and I look at him and he, <laughs> he jumps, immediately jumps. Probably, I mean, dude, he's at least ten feet up in the air, and then he jumps like vertical, like mm-hmm. horizontally, or I mean, whatever. Downstairs, he jumps all the way down to the steps, yeah. the bottom of the steps. I'm like, what? And then he like flies into this rail, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he probably broke his foot. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then I go pick him up, and he is kind of crying and stuff. But he was fine. But I was just like, in my mind, I was I thought Rocco would never <laughs> no. do anything like that, you know. No. But then it got me thinking. I was like. I, I better not underestimate this kid. I better not underestimate yeah. this kid. I can't do some exactly. Stuff. So what about Layla, man? What's a good story? I, I think Layla Layla's is, you know, so quiet sometimes. And I mean, and not that she's quiet, but mm-hmm. I think that like, uh, she's definitely not as like rambunctious sometimes as, as Luke is. So like, we, no, yeah. I mean, uh, that, yeah. 
But I mean, I think, I mean, Layla has such a big heart and like. Oh yeah, for sure. Layla's got that grandma gene in her. She she just cares about everybody and wants to make sure everybody's okay. But um, I don't know. I mean, the things I think about Layla, like just. I mean, just like I mean, literally, yeah, allowing her brother to cover in fingernail polish or yeah. lotion and and baby powder, and you know, just so accommodating, you know, to him really and taking care of him and stuff. Um, Lately, I've heard any stories about coming home from school and and something happened that you're surprised about. <laughs> no, one <laughs> thing about Layla that I was thinking about the other day is her and a friend they had a science project. Um, that they were supposed to do. It's like, and I don't remember what exactly the, the preface of it was, but they designed a machine that would put over you and it, and it was, it smelled your sickness or something like that. Like it through like sensory, it would like, and it was this whole, and they made like a whole shoebox thing out of it. It was this whole thing. And it was like, it's really cool, but it seems so far fetched. And literally within the last like two years, they've realized like you can smell disease on people. And, I was talking to her about that the other day. I was like, Layla, you invented that. Like, you know, but I feel like her mind, like she comes up with things that are so practical and, you know, that, and it didn't, you know, and obviously end up becoming real things, you know, like just her perception of things, how the world works is freaking crazy. But dad, that's a, that's a, um, sought after skill. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like she was born with that. Like, that's not something she learned, you know, like, but yeah, her ability to, to sense a situation and just, you know, know what the right thing to do is. It's like pretty cool to see, but I see a lot of like, yeah, her aunts and her, you know, the girl cousins and grandma and her, like, it's pretty cool. Well, I think we get to the end of this thing, but I've got the last three questions. Okay. These are rapid fire, rapid fire questions, (laughs) rapid fire questions. Um, If you could wake up and be anywhere in the world, where would you wake up? I mean, well, in the mountains somewhere for sure. Cabin, mountains. Any particular mountains? I mean, you have an idea in your in your mind? Yeah, well... Like, the, it doesn't even have to be mountains. The, the thing is, my whole life I've felt like that. Sorry, it's not a quick question, but I've just always been drawn more to mountains than, like, the beach. But I will say, man, going to Spain with Jenny, like, there's their wine country. So Spain could be. If I just woke up in Spain, I'd be like, I'm cool. With a water, bottle of wine next to your bed. And- well, yeah. you'd have, they, It's like the third most consumption of wine in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> But no, the mountains. I mean, you know, when I think – and when I think mountains, I think obviously the, the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies. I mean, it's just we spent so much of our childhood there. But there's just – I just love – you know, I guess being in the mountains, being a little cooler, I guess, and being high up much more than I do on a beach. All right. I mean, are there, but do you think that, like, Swiss Alps, Rocky Mountains, Appalachian Mountains? The... Well, I haven't spent a lot of time in all those other mountain ranges, but. I think we should go to the Swiss Alps sometimes. Yeah, I mean. For sure. I guess. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't want to be so high up that I feel like I'm in an airplane, but. You know, yeah, like a like if I just woke, like if I fell asleep right now and I woke up and I was like in a cabin in, you know, the north in the north part of Colorado in the Rockies, you know, you know, in a small town somewhere, like yeah, that would be pretty nice. Yeah, I like that vision. That'd be pretty badass. I like that. Um, 
Uh, this is a, I think this is a fun question. It's a tough. One <laughs> I, to think, I know you do because you wrote it. It's a tough. It's a tough one to answer. I think. Uh, if you were drowning, seven. It wasn't that tough, I guess. Oh, I <laughs> if I was drowning, <laughs> <laughs> if you're drowning, and you could choose the liquid that you're drowning in, what would the liquid be? Whiskey. What kind of whiskey? Rye whiskey. Probably, man. Probably just old Overholt. Honestly, Dang. cheapest rye whiskey you can get. And today, our second uh, advertiser is Old Overhaul. <laughs> right, Thank thanks, Old Overhaul. It'll cost you two cases because <laughs> you guys can afford it. Um, and the last question, oh, man, am, am I? I probably to... should have put more thought into that previous question. I mean, that, or maybe that just tells a lot about who I am. I mean, you know, I think that it's not it's not a bad thing to just answer that question because I think I've I've thought about that question a lot. And at one point in time, I thought maybe strawberry milk or something like my, my problem with whiskey is i think it would burn as you were after a certain point you'd be like why am i still drinking this whiskey but well no you'd and then you'd either be dead or you'd be so wasted that you'd you wouldn't care <laughs> um <laughs> i might have two more questions for you i know these are what if you live what if you just lived then and you were like oh man I actually was meant to live in whiskey. Well, that's, I'm like a whiskey fish. Then that would defeat the purpose of the question. Oh, no, true. The actual question itself. Um, if you're stuck on an island and you could pick who you're stuck on that island with, who would it be? And you can't and you, and you can't say your kids or Ginny. <laughs> Does it have to be a family member though? Somebody in the to, family. It doesn't of, have to be a family. Do you have to be stuck with one person in the family? No, you got to think about the the. All of the well, I don't know. Yeah, just answer the question. I'm not going to give you any more details. <laughs> Other than it can't be your kids or, or Ginny. Probably, I'm on an island. Probably, it has to be somebody I know. No, it doesn't have to. Necessarily. It can be anybody. It can be anybody. Well, probably freaking. Uh... Oh dang, I don't know his name. Um... <laughs> well, after you get stuck on an island with him, I'm sure you'll know his name. Probably uh, Blackbeard the Pirate. Blackbeard the Pirate? Who, I don't even know who that is. Like, who is Blackbeard the Pirate? Blackbeard. Because he because he has an infinite knowledge of islands in the ocean. He's a pirate, so he knows how to be on a ship. So we could build a ship. He'd get me off of it. I've got, I can work around anybody. Nobody's going to outwork an old. That's what I tell the kids all the time. So I'd build the ship, and then he'd get me off the island. So knowledge, and he knows where we are. Knowledge and resilience? Knowledge is power. Knowledge and resilience? Yeah. And so he'd get me off. Plus, if there was treasure on there, he probably would know where the treasure was, and I'd leave the island better than I even got on there. Yeah, he'd be like the Count of Monte Cristo. Exactly. Last question. Favorite food out of all the places you've worked? Oh, just the places I've worked? Like, if you could, if you could pick one meal out of all the places you've worked, what would that meal be? Man. And it can't be from Jane's. No, it wasn't going to be from Jane's anyways. Maybe it would have been. But I think, um, the, I think the unique thing about people who work at restaurants is that you have the ability to take the things they have in the kitchen and pretty much make whatever Man, you want. it would easily it's, – it's really not a hard question for me because it would be – we used to get – or well, they still do. But um, I, still, I still call Bodine we for – I've been there forever. But uh, – a five Wagyu steak, which oh. is like it's Kobe beef, 
Like it's the best steak in the world. Like they get that. They, we used to have that all the time. Yeah. Fillets. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My mouth is watering right now. Just thinking about it. It's the best steak in the world. Like, well, how do they cook it? Is it sous vide? Uh, we did sous vide some, we did a bunch of different ways, but I mean, usually if some, I mean, it was a $180 sometimes steak. I mean, like, and you're literally talking about six, six ounce, I think is what we did. Six to eight ounce. Kieran would probably kick me right now, but I mean, that's uh, with like mashed potatoes and asparagus, you know, or they might do like some mushroom thing or something. But I mean, it's like you're paying for one of the smallest steaks you've ever eaten and the most you've ever paid for a steak. But it was like you eat one bite and you're like, yeah, that. Or I was going to also say the man, maybe just the Copper King salmon that we'd get in at Bodine. It was freaking amazing. Man, I should have excluded Bodine's on that. Question. Yeah, you should have excluded Bodine, not Jay's. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was already, when you said favorite from where I've worked, I'm like, well, it's going to be Bodine. Like, now what do I have to choose from there? Yeah, that's, I mean, a $180 steak kind of puts a lot of steakhouses to shame. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not something that was, like, consistent on the menu. I'm sure that's not something you guys had all the time. No, no. But. Wine pairing more with more. that? Wine pairing? It would. It wouldn't really even matter. <laughs> it wouldn't. You literally could drink anything you wanted to with that. I mean, not Pinot. You wouldn't want to drink a Pinot with that. But pretty much anything else. Would Kieran say the same thing? Well, he'd have an exact answer whether he believed it or not. The great thing about Kieran is he's got an answer for you, even if that's not. If he actually thought about it, probably wouldn't actually be his real answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, this has been great. It's been a good time. It's a whiskey, man. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.